Hey everyone, welcome to season two of the Life by Design Intentional Wellness Podcast. With Tracy, Debbie, and Paula, three friends who have a love for learning and an inquiring spirit for living a happy, healthy life. We are so glad you can join us as we discover together how to be our best physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Friends, we are on the journey with you. We are not doctors or experts in wellness. We are just collaborators partnering with you, our listeners, to live a healthy, happy life in this chaotic world. Life by Design Intentional Wellness is for information sharing only. Don't take it as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Make sure to work with your healthcare providers to determine the best way forward for your situation. This is the first part of a two-part podcast. Welcome everyone. Today on Life by Design Intentional Wellness, our journey is going to focus on how we can increase our well-being physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally by promoting our own happiness. So ladies, I'm going to just get right into it. I want you to imagine a ladder and zero is the bottom rung and 10 is the top rung. And that's that stands like 10 is your best possible life. Where would you put yourself on that ladder? What did you say? I'm an eight. Wow, that's really good. And you know, I really were was thinking the same thing in that I would say eight or nine. Wow, very, very great, great. Does that surprise you, Tracy? <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, you guys are very happy. To me, you guys are very happy people. And it was a study. It's called the Cantrell Self-Anchoring Striving Scale. And it was developed in 1965 by uh, Hattel Cantrell and colleagues at Princeton University to have people quantify their own sense of how they were doing in life, what their happiness was. And so you guys really rank that high. Like I would say I'm a little bit lower. I would put myself at a seven. I think there are times I've been a little bit higher in that, but I'd say right now I'm at a seven. So I would be interested to know from both of you, eight or nine, why do you say that number? Go ahead, Paula. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, when I was thinking about that, my happiness isn't really driven by circumstances. Like, am I having a good day or a bad day, right? But it's more about my overall satisfaction with life. So I feel like I I have a sense of purpose in my life. I have strong family ties and family uh, relationships. I have an amazing spiritual community And, you know, just my love and trust in Jesus. And when I just focus on that, I feel very content and uh, full of joy. And, you know, there there are bad days. If something goes wrong or I'm tired or whatever, but I don't let that define my happiness or my contentment, my satisfaction. It's just, you know, in general. And I think that those things in my life, family, purpose, church, um, all of that ties into and leads to the number eight I gave. Well, that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is great. And I I actually agree with you. And I was trying to think of something different so I could say something new. But <laughs> I really do believe that it's just the overall, like you said, it's not day to day. It's just overall how satisfied am I with where I am and what I'm doing and 
my friends and I just have really, I can't complain. Mm. Well, and I think like I put myself at a seven, so I'm a little bit lower than the two of you. So I'm generally a pretty decent, positive person, you know, generally pretty happy and I'm pretty happy. I just, I think I'm expecting more for myself, like more to feel more connected to my purpose, more, I, you know, I want to be more outgoing. I like to do more volunteering. I like to be out a little bit more and I haven't gotten there yet. You know, I've done a few things that maybe haven't panned out the way I wanted to. So I'm still kind of doing, doing that. But I, but I've said, you know, I've been at eight or nine, you know, through my life and everything. And again, I agree with Paula and I agree with Debbie that it really does come from within, you know, it's not mm-hmm. so much your external circumstances because they can change on a dime, but right. you know, more that what I kind of look at my own happiness from is what I'm doing to facilitate that. What am I doing? Not what the world is doing, but what am I doing to facilitate my own happiness? And so that leads to the second question, like, and you may have answered it in part, like, what is happiness? Like, what is happiness to you? For me, I really think it's sort of an emotional state of where you are with I have a lot of feelings of joy and appreciation, but I think, and I have a lot of contentment with where I am. And it's not about the things I have or don't have, or the money I have or don't have. Overall, I'm just really happy with with where I am. And sure, if I let it get, you know, in my head, I could think to myself, well, don't you want to live in a mansion? And, you know, <laughs> don't you want to do this? And the answer is really no. I'm really living how I want to live. You have your own little mansion there <laughs> <laughs> with the Zen garden. Come on. <laughs> and I agree with you, Deb. I think that when I hear the word happiness, it, it does, you know, makes me think of an emotion. And to me, emotions are fleeting Mm -hmm. and more like in the moment. And if we, if I, I, if I think of my happiness that way, then, you know, it would fluctuate so much. When I think of happiness, I think of it more of situational. So I think more about contentment and satisfaction, which to me feels bigger. Like it's not just how I feel right now based on what's happening in my life. So, and that's kind of what I was talking about with the number eight for the ladder is, you know, am I involved in things that are bigger than me? Am I, do I feel like I have some kind of purpose? Am I adding some kind of value somewhere? Am I making a difference in some way? And, and I, (laughs) I just feel like when I, when I think about, my relationship with Jesus. I mean, my joy comes from him and his promises and his, and the hope I get from him, not from what people can give me or what I can even do myself because the, what I could do myself is limited. So I just feel like that, you know, I'm just trying to serve in that way. I'm trying to be obedient to the Lord. And if I'm that way, then I feel like then that, then, then I'm content and, and I have joy. And the situations come and go. 
so that being said, I don't know if I defined happiness or, or not, but that being said, I mean, there are bad days, right? Like, sure. you know, yes. Um, you know, it's not all, all roses. So there are days that you might ask me and I'd be like, wow, you know, I'm like a two today, just <laughs> because, we're, because we're human. Right. But, but if I'm, you know, if I try to think about it, honestly, and like, you know, that's not the way we, that's not the way to approach it. So to me, happiness is, is more like, I like to think of the words contentment and satisfaction. People might say though, that those are the same. I don't know, but to me, it's just a little bit bigger than happiness. Happiness feels fleeting and feels very situational and feels very in the moment. And I like to think of it broader than that. Oh, yeah. I think of happiness too, as a, as a very broad statement, mm -hmm. like, you know, and I feel very responsible for my own happiness, meaning mm -hmm. like, it's not the external things like Debbie said, like the mansion or the, what, you know, whatever, or the money winning the lottery. I don't even really care. You know, it's me, how I feel, you know, if I have a lot of money or if I had no money where I am, you know, I feel responsible for for generating that too. Like no one else can do that for me. I feel like no one can make me happy or unhappy for that matter. It's really up to me to, mm -hmm. to do that for myself. And like you said, the more I feel connected to my purpose or other things, like Paula was saying, the more, the happier on that scale I am, the higher I am. And that can fluctuate a little bit day to day, depending on the thing. And like you said, you got the bad days too, but you know, mm -hmm. overall in the scheme of things, you know, right. that doesn't like define my happiness either. So. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important. Yep. So I was reading a book called the blue zone of happiness lessons from the world's happiest people. And this is by Dan Buettner. And we talked about the blue zones before uh -huh. for longevity. Well, he's written this beautiful book about the blue zones of happiness and he's kind of said that a lot of people are the happiest people that are, you know, statistically happiest people or the happiest countries seem to have at least one of these three things uh, as part of their daily life, pleasure, purpose, and pride. Hmm. And so he used three countries to kind of demonstrate this. The first one was Costa Rica. And he said in Costa Rica, there's a combination of strong religious beliefs, an extended sense of family, good health, peace, and a sense of equality and generosity, all statistically associated with well-being that delivers more happiness per GDP dollar than anywhere else. And he, he uses a particular person or uh, for each thing. And in this in the case of the Costa Ricans, he talked about this particular avocado vendor who won the lottery there. Mm -hmm. And so he won the lottery and he knew he, he won the lottery because his friend brought him a ticket. You know, the friend could have easily absconded with that. He had to remind the guy, oh, your ticket, it won. You won all these millions of dollars. And wow. so they expected him to not show up for work the next day, but he shows up, you know, and I think eventually he manages to give away whatever winnings he has to other people. So, you know, he again was still be an avocado vendor. You know, the thing about 
all the vendors there at the food markets that they have, there seems to be, you know, this kind of happiness where they kind of do use nicknames as a form of endearment for each other. They turn competition into cooperation. So if they ne- they don't undercut each other's prices and like if somebody's going to go to the restroom or they have to go for lunch or something, they'll mine their stalls for them and they, you know, never pass up a joke and they created a community of food vendors. Like if something happens, they'll collect money. If someone in their family passed away for, for that person and they never lock up their money and because nobody <laughs> steals from each other. Like yeah. they're that cooperative. Yeah. So he said that Costa Rica demonstrates more so than a lot of countries, the idea of pleasure, you know, he said pleasure, purpose, and pride and pleasure was best demonstrated by the country of Costa Rica. Now the next country, Denmark, you know, uh, that's been statistically like a very happy country. And they said what they did, you know, they were the first to give farmers daughters and give women voting rights way before anybody else. And the folk schools are famous for giving peasants an liberal arts education. So that was early on. And the labor unions were early on before other countries too, to assure workers a living wage. So Denmark's free education, healthcare, and retirement policies largely flow from all this, this innovation. And Denmark teaches us that when your basic needs are met, food, shelter, healthcare, education, mobility, we should focus on pursuits that fuel the soul rather than our bank accounts, thus demonstrating the concept of purpose. Mm-hmm. So they're, Denmark is happy because they have a very, they're connected very strongly to their sense of purpose. He used these two Latvian students who had immigrated to Denmark as an example. Their visas permitted them only to work 15 hours a week, but their tuition and healthcare were paid for by the government and Denmark. And they didn't need a car because Denmark has so many bike paths and public transportation that they could get around, even though they couldn't afford a car at the time. So, you know, here they were, they came from Latvia was very, they came from very scary places because they had to live in very poor communities with no security and everything to this. They said it took them a while to be able to trust and have that, you know, kind of comfortable happiness that the Denmark's, the Danish have. So they demonstrate purpose very well. And then the third country demonstrates pride, and that's Singapore. And the Singaporeans favor security over freedom. They live their values. They have a tribe. They look for an environment of trust. They buy good health care, and they get rich by hard work. They save their money, and they invest wisely. And he used an example in the book of a businessman who owns a large change of sushi restaurants. And he starts his day reviewing his children's homework, because it's very important in that country, you know, that you excel in school, get a good job. I mean, it's that kind of meritocracy. And then he he ends his day with his wife reviewing their fund strategies for the family's philanthropic foundations. But all these countries rank, you know, the happy, like the happiest countries. So what things do you think they have in common? It seems like, like I like the way you described it. And there's some things I, I would agree with those th- 
countries and then some things I would not, I guess. But when I, you know, the little, so I'm not an expert on any of them, but the little bit of reading I did is it was, it seemed to me, it was like having that greater sense of purpose and, and, you know, doing something that they're, that they're passionate about, that they have this, I mean, I think it, I guess it's just, you know, when I was saying like something that's bigger than, you know, happiness is something bigger than me. It sounds like those three countries have something that they focus on that's bigger than them. So like that sense of purpose. I also thought it was interesting that family, it sounded like family was very important to them, to maybe all three of those countries to some degree, you know, like taking care of your family and having that family relationship. I don't know. That that's what kind of stood out to me when I was listening and and hear and reading a little bit about them. Oh, I and I agree with you, Paula, because I just think that personally, I just think family is so important and is the priority. And I just really like that that's how they they think they should be. And then having that sense of purpose, I just think that that's that keeps at least when I think of it for myself, is that when you have a sense of purpose, you're more motivated and you have a direction and you know what you want to do. And without a purpose, I just, I think I wouldn't have such a high happiness scale. I I feel like it, I mean, I think people can can survive and survive very well without a sense of purpose, but it seems like they would be kind of floundering. Like I'm just- Like I'm, I'm working hard. I'm trying to, you know, making money, but like, and and maybe I'm happy because I have, you know, the BMW and the big house or something. But I just feel like there's maybe if if these if people who are striving just to strive and get ahead, I think if they step back, they would feel like there's some kind of emptiness, like something is missing. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like these three countries don't have something that's missing. Does, I don't know if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, I think that does make sense. I agree. And Buechner says that these countries have adopted policies in favor of the quality of life. And people in these countries are happier, not because they try to be happier. And this goes to a little bit like our atomic habits. They are happier because their surroundings nudge them into behaviors more likely to produce happiness. So, mm-hmm. and here's like some example, like of the policies and as early as 1869 in Costa Rica, they made primary school mandatory for every child, most notably girls to get education. By the 1930s, they boasted the lowest illiteracy rates in Latin America. Mm-hmm. The nation invested in clean water for the rural villages, stemming disease diseases like cholera and diarrhea away, you know, better assuring that children's lives got off to a healthier start. Costa Rica has seen a life expectancy jump from 65 to 80 years. Child mortality Mm. dropped to a rate of seven. And TICOs, as the Costa Ricans affectionately call one another, may be explained by three factors. Extraordinary social support, you know, talk about the families and Mm -hmm. to make their own life choices and a culture of generosity. They're good at creating happy moments every day. The Danes, they work about a 37-hour work week. You know, nice. so that's, you know, that's really great. 
They take six weeks of vacation every year. Danes don't start school until they are six years old and don't end their academic careers until they are 30. Along the way, they, they may travel. They take a year off to try a profession or switch majors. By the time they graduate, they're more likely to have found a career they love and not just one that pays. Yeah. And over the years, Singaporeans have created one of the cleanest, healthiest, longest lived, wealthiest, least corrupt and happiest countries in Asia. And Singapore, success lies at the end of a well-defined path. Follow the rules, get into the right school, win the right job and happiness is yours. And so- you know, basically like what you're saying, some of the things, Paul, like the family time, the friends, you know, having a sense of purpose, Debbie, you know, all that, that you were saying they do, but what's good about their countries is they don't feel, they feel nudged into doing it. Like mm-hmm. everybody supports that, you know, yeah. their governments, their families around them, everybody is helping them. Like the Danes, you know, they have bike paths and lots of them and, you know, public transportation. So, you know, they're more active. Buner even says like what that may look for in the United States might be very different because mm-hmm. we have a different, we're not as homogeneous as maybe the Danes are, you know, we have lots of cultures here, you know, with lots of, so it, it might be a very different, you know, to have that happen in the United States. But thinking about it, I just wondered if you guys had any thoughts about how maybe we could help cultivate that here a little bit more in the United States. And it's not to say that we don't have it. Like you may have prime examples of ways that are kind of encouraging to this life of happiness. So like, how might we cultivate this in the United States? Well, you know, that's interesting that you were giving the differences with the countries being more homogeneous. Because one of the things I really do love about the United States is just how eclectic that they are. And you can learn about all these different cultures that, and I I speak of this because when I I first uh, was born, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and there was no majority. We were all just a mixture of all different kinds of people. And I really had a deep appreciation. And now as an adult, I love meeting people from different cultures because there's, but then I'm also the continuous student. So I'm learning Mm -hmm. from them, which is so exciting. So, so yeah, that's what I really love. I think it's just getting into that appreciation and recognizing that. Yeah, because I would say even like, it might be hard for me to find as much happiness in Singapore if I moved there because yeah. I was watching a video blog about a couple that was visiting Singapore, Americans that were there for you know a couple of days or whatever. And they were walking down the street and one of the signs said, uh, no chewing gum allowed. I mean, and she said, I have a piece of chewing gum in my pocket. You know, my breath is bad. I would like to chew it, but <laughs> And and they're very strict on their rules there. So that might be a hard place for me to find, you know, to have lived or find happiness given the culture that I'm, I'm from. So, yeah, I, I understand. And like, I I think part of the United States having this broad culture 
that in itself, you know, is interesting and different and, you know, can cultivate happiness for a person who is broad-minded and and would like to be a part of that kind of situation. So, yeah. yeah. I think the United States has so much to offer. I think that there are so many opportunities. And again, I haven't done research, so I'm just saying this from my heart. I think that, you know, we... I think the United States has some missed opportunities, like the people here. And when I was thinking about this, I, I mean, that's a, you know, it's a lofty question, Tracy, like how can we cultivate happiness in the United States? Well, you know, oh, it's I can't tell you how I can cultivate <laughs> happiness in the, in my household, but the United States, <laughs> but it made me think this is where my mind went and whether this has any, has any value to the conversation or not. I, I don't know, but my mind went to when I was younger, growing up, and life felt like so simpler. I mean, my parents mm-hmm. had good good jobs, mm-hmm. but but they you know they they were home by four four thirty. We sat down and had dinner every night together. We talked about our our days, like what happened in school, or if it was the summer, what did the kids do, and who did we play with. My mom and dad talked about their work and the people at their work. We had my, I grew up with my grandparents and aunts and uncles only a mile or two away from my house. So they were part of our family. I mean, I saw them all the time Mm -hmm. and I, and, and so, you know, my little simple mind, I just feel like it was a lot simpler back then. And and so now we have, you know, we've all like, we've moved, I've moved away. I'm not close to my whole family physically close to them a lot of people that I know that have kids their their kids don't know their grandparents because they've they moved they you know they're in the military or their job has taken them somewhere and so grandparents stay you know wherever they are and the family moves somewhere else and so they don't have that opportunity like I had to grow up close to my grandparents but I just feel like we miss out, like where there's a lot of striving to do well. I mean, and there's probably pockets of not striving too, but I feel like we have a, a country of uh, a lot of type A personalities and wanting to get ahead and wanting to be, have bigger and better things than our neighbors have. And, and I guess that could be a motivator. I don't know if that brings happiness, but it it feels like it brings more divisiveness than coming together you know like your your conversation about was it in costa rica and the which one was it where was the bending it was in costa rica the avocado vendor yeah and and like i don't know maybe there are pockets of places where here in america that we would look out for each other and not be competitive but i think our culture is more of a competitive nature. So I want to do good and and I don't care how you do. In fact, I want you to do worse so I could do better. I, I don't know. And I don't know how that would work here in the United States, but I just feel like, I just wish it was a little bit simpler. Yeah, I, I do too. Thank you for going along on the ride with us today as we pursue ways to intentionally live our best lives with purpose and meaning. We want to hear from you, our companions on the journey of designing a life of intentional wellness. Visit our website at www.life-by-design-int.com and let us know what you think about the podcast. 
We invite you to share your story, suggest a topic for discussion, and rate this in previous podcast episodes. Share our podcast with your friends because our desire is to build a community dedicated to a life designed with meaning and value.